You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 117. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and we have made it to episode 117. As you are well aware at this point, I am infatuated with the number 7 and 17 and 117. I use variations of those numbers as random examples <laughs> throughout this show. And so 117 is super cool. I've been talking about this for the last couple of months. We are here. I have once again way over prepared for an episode of this podcast, and I'm going to do my best to keep this under 45 minutes. I make no promises, but I have a lot to do today. So I've got a timer, and it is, it is 10 10 in the morning right now. So let's see how long this goes. <laughs> and so I'm going to jump right in because me and my therapist have been having some great conversations lately about what communicating with other people is like when you really want to have a deep, meaningful communication moment with them. And the more I have had you all reach out to me, we've had, I've had, you know, 30, 40 different conversations with you listeners, with you loyal advocates of the show, those who go out and actually, you know, repeat what you're learning here and you talk about it and you apply it and you evaluate it. I've talked to so many of you since the online course has is, is gone out March 1st. I mean, previously, I probably already talked to 20. And now I've got another 30 or 40 in there as well. And so I'm really starting to have these opportunities to talk with those of y'all who've reached out, who've agreed to come on a call. And, you know, these calls can go, you know, 10, 20 minutes, and some of them have gone two hours. And I really had an amazing opportunity to connect and to communicate and to really get to know the people who are out there also going through a similar journey. Right, We all have our, a different version of this journey, but we're all going through this addiction recovery journey together. And one of the things that we keep talking about is how active listening and actually talking with someone and not waiting to respond and not listening while you're actually thinking of what you're going to say, but actually listening and how important that is. Because I can get caught up just like any other normal human with wanting to share my story, with wanting to learn more uh, about the other person, but in reality, actually just talking over them, interrupting them, like it's, it's a natural human experience. It's nothing to be frowned upon. It's just something that we can now pull out of our awareness and we can actually say, okay, well, this is how I have been communicating and this is how I'm choosing to communicate moving forward, knowing that through the application, we're going to discover in our evaluation that we're not always, you know, knocking it out of the park. And that's great. That's great that we notice that because that just gives us an opportunity to reapply and then reevaluate. And it's, it's, a, it's a very much like a rinse, wash, repeat cycle. It's just you're constantly seeking to up yourself, to up-level your game. And when I seek to better myself on a day-to-day -day basis, and the Atomic Habits talks about this, how... You know, if you can just increase yourself 1% a day, and a lot of people hear, wow, 1%, that's not much. But when you start to look at that as an exponential growth over the course of an entire year, if you increased yourself 1% every day, you're like, well, that'd be a 365 degree you know, percent increase in a whole year. Yeah, the math doesn't necessarily work out that way. Various books will say you, you've really only increased 87% or 117%. And I'm like, seriously, like, what the hell is 1% anyways? So let's take out the mathematical equation in here and just say, when your head hits the pillow, do you feel that you actively listened to those that you communicated with, seeking to understand more about their model of the world, their point of view, rather than pushing your point of view? upon them. And this can be difficult because we want to be heard. We as humans have this instinctual need to want to be heard, to want to be seen by the tribe, 
right? This goes all the way back to the caveman area where, you know, you're the quiet, shy one and you're not friends with anyone. And all of a sudden you're the one being stomped on by the woolly mammoth or eaten by the saber-toothed cat because, hey, you're not that friendly anyways. So this desire to fit in with the tribe and not be the outcast causes us to want to really stand out. And those of you that say, well, that's not me. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. At a young age, you just got bopped on the nose about wanting to be more outspoken and wanting to be more of the center of attention. Yeah, a limiting belief was placed upon you that says that you shouldn't be acting that way. And therefore, you started to retreat back inside of yourself. It's a natural reaction to being you know, chastised about you know, an extroverted child finding themselves retreating inwards. It's, it's, it would be a natural human experience to say, okay, well, if I'm going to be bopped on the nose, I don't want to be bopped on the nose. Clearly, that had me stepping outside of the tribal boundaries. I'll just quiet down, and then the tribe will accept me. But you don't naturally want to be shy. It's just a limiting belief that was placed upon you as a child that you're now living with as an adult. And again, just like any other kind of trauma, it's not your it's not your fault it happened, but it is your responsibility to heal yourself through it. And that is an absolutely a challenge because no one else is going to heal you through the things that you think are holding you back like you will for yourself. No one is going to care as much about your growth and your development as you are. I don't care how much of a helicopter parent you have, they will never care as much as you do because you're the one with yourself all the time. I have a t-shirt that says, nobody cares, work harder. It might come off a little brash, but honestly, nobody cares. It's up to you to care for yourself and for you to work harder to up-level yourself. And that's what happened when we decided to get sober. That's what happened when we decided to make this massive change. For me, I had tried so many different changes in my life from eating healthier to working out to taking a morning bartending job instead of the nighttime job, thinking that would somehow finally limit the drinking, finally limit the behavior that was holding me back. I had literally tried everything other than taking alcohol and drugs out of the equation permanently. It wasn't enough to just say, I'm not going to do it for 30 days or 90 days, because I had done that before, and I just got back up on the, on the horse and just went even more buck wild than I had previously. I knew the decision that had to be made for me at that time was to absolutely walk away from my favorite hobby I had had for 22 years, being intoxicated. I knew I was at the precipice of going from a person who had a ton of a potential to being a person who wasted a ton of potential. And I know you're having that feeling too. Maybe not right now in this very moment, but you had it when you chose to step away from booze. Whether you were just sober curious, you stepped into sobriety, now you're in addiction recovery, wherever I'm finding you at, you had that moment where you looked in the mirror and said, this is not the way. This is not the way I want to live any longer. And what made that day any different than any other day? When I talked about this with Melissa, it was in reference to going to shelters and going to recovery centers and seeing people who perhaps lived on the street or in their car. And all of a sudden they woke up on the street one day and they found themselves at a shelter and they said, I can't do this anymore. This isn't my way anymore. I want to make massive change in my life and I'm ready to do it today. And next thing they know, they find themselves in a recovery center. And before you know it, they've, they've got a couple months of sobriety. They get themselves in some level of housing. They start to really reacclimate themselves back into society. But what made that day the day? What made that day the day for you? For me, it was waking up in my bathtub with ice cold water surrounded me with my own bodily fluids and waste and everything in this bathtub with me, crawling out of it, looking at myself in the mirror, just disgusted by the person looking back and thinking, this is not my beautiful life. This is not my beautiful house, to pull some lyrics from Talking Heads. This is not the life I was supposed to be creating for myself. And I had hidden away in my house for six months. I rejected anyone who even attempted to reach out to me. So now they weren't even trying to call me anymore. And I felt like I was alone on this island out in the middle of the ocean. And I'm the one who put myself there. And I'm the one who knew where the lifeboat was. I just refused to get in it. So what made somebody else on their particular day get in their lifeboat? 
What made you get in your lifeboat? Yes, my body was quitting. My mind was jello. My emotions were blended. My soul was weeping for a way out. I had tried everything, but the one thing I was positive would work. I was so positive that taking alcohol out of the equation was going to change my life in innumerable, amazing, outstanding ways. It's the, the, the fear I had around taking that out wasn't just about losing my best friend, Allie Alcohol. It wasn't about losing the intoxicated nights where I could just hide from the world in my dark room, watching TV, letting another moment in my life slip away. It wasn't those... It wasn't those things that I was more fearful of. I was actually more fearful of what is going to happen when I actually do start creating the life that I have always desired. What am I going to do then when people actually are counting on me and I want it to be counted upon? What am I going to do when I actually do have a bank account and a savings account and a retirement account and a nicer car and a nicer place and I have friends and I have ambitions and dreams and I'm actually accomplishing things? What the fuck am I going to do with all of that? That seemed just as insurmountable as not ever getting intoxicated again. Because being intoxicated, I knew where I was going. I knew where I was going with that. I was going down a dark, dark tunnel that was going to end with me in a crematorium. And if I was lucky, everybody getting, you know, an ounce of my ashes and that they could spread them wherever they wanted to. And it was going to happen in my early 40s. And that was not acceptable any longer when I looked at myself in the mirror on January 12th of 2017. So what was your crucial moment? What was that time when you looked back and said, today is the day I start making a change? What made you change that day? What makes you desire to change any day? What is that decision-making process like for you? See, this is what I can teach you in NLP. Your mind has these predetermined ways of figuring things out that have been programmed in you since you were a baby. You're not even aware of all of the unconscious habits that are literally dictating your journey. The more you keep the unconscious unconscious, the more you just think your life is being dictated by fate, and it is not. That's called fatalism, when people think that their life is being dictated by fate. As addicts, we were hedonistic, where we lived for enjoyment. We took risks. It was all about living for today. Somebody who's a fatalist, who believes in fate, takes less risks, doesn't push themselves outside of their boundaries because they think that their life is already predetermined. Now, neither one of those kinds of thinking is necessarily right or wrong, but I definitely, from my point of view, don't think that either of them are beneficial. Always living the YOLO life, right? You don't only live once. You live every day. You die once. So always living like today has to be the best day of all time is what led me astray. And if I sat here and just said, well, fate's taking its course, then I'm not really backing up my soul's journey. Because I definitely believe in reincarnation, and I definitely believe in this idea that your soul chooses the journey you're going to take before you even step into this life form. Now, I'm not going to get off on that whole spiritual aspect, because we all have our own ways of looking at the afterlife and, and life in general. And I've talked about my reincarnation idea before, so that shouldn't come as a surprise to those of you who have been listening for the last 117 episodes. I just wanted to bring up the idea of, were you once hedonistic? Are you now thinking more fatalism, where you think about fate? And I don't think that either one of them are necessarily serving me. I want to have the independence and the freedom to set my own course. See, our brains have this way of pushing us to change or stay the same, and no two humans will ever do it the same. It is not possible to have the same reference points between two humans. Not possible. And I don't use universal qualifiers, these definitives, very often. But it is not possible for two humans to have the same reference point. Right? Our brains experience, organize, and filter out information all in the same way. Right? You're experiencing the world through your five senses. Touch, taste, sight, sound, smell. In NLP, we call it VACOG. 
Don't worry about the jargon. Just know your five senses is how you experience the world. We all organize in the same way. They're called content domains, people, places, things, activities, information. In those five, you can organize them to how you make memories or how things are important to you or how you make plans. Is it the people, places, things, activities, or information that you're going to be able to experience in that moment? When you look back at your memories, do you really remember the people that were there or the activity that was happening or where you were at or what you were learning or the things that were around you in your life? These are called your domains. And then we filter information the same way using delete, distort, and generalize as the three primary processes. And then we also utilize time, environment, memories, decisions, beliefs, values, personality traits. And look, there's more. But I digress because I promised, in a way, that this episode would only be 45 minutes. So when you seek to learn more about others through joint communication, you are filtering everything they are saying with their words, everything they are saying with their tone, everything they are saying with their body language. You are filtering this through your own filters and processes that exist in your own head. And that isn't going to guide you to the best connection with them because your filters are not their filters. And their filters are how they are communicating with you in that moment. Do you want to be right or do you want to connect? This is something I ask my friends, my family members, my clients all the time. Do you want to be right or do you want to connect? In a world where everything seems like it's, we've got to argue about religion, we've got to argue about gender, we've got to argue about age and race and politics, we've got to argue about everything. Turn on the news and they swear to you that if you are not ready to argue your point into the ground, then you don't care, you don't have substance, you don't have self-worth, you don't even exist because you're not willing to beat the shit out of your neighbor just because they like the Bears and you like the Vikings. And that is asinine. The opposite of addiction is connection. So if you are rejecting connection, then you are accepting that your way of communicating that has always existed is the only way, that there is no better way, and fuck everybody else who thinks that there is. Do you want to be right or do you want to connect? When you are filtering what somebody is saying through your own mind and you are barely listening, let alone asking questions, you're not connecting. You're just waiting for them to stop talking long enough so that you can interject your opinion over theirs. And I get that asking us to break from this you know, millennia-old tradition that all humans have of wanting to be seen and heard and felt by others, I get that asking you to break that and actually stepping into a place where you are putting more attention on the other person is going to feel uncomfortable. Releasing your ego to understand how to communicate with someone else and to actually follow through and do it and just have them feel like they are the center of your world in that moment, that can feel uncomfortable. I read a lot about celebrities who are sober because it pops up on Instagram quite frequently. And um, Keanu Reeves is someone who comes up. And I'm not going to spend too much time on him because this is just a quick point I want to make. But people who have befriended him, people who have talked to him, even just as complete strangers will say that when you're talking with him, he makes you seem like the center of the universe. And that is, from my perspective, without actually knowing him, if that is the feeling people get when they talk with him, when they see him, that tells me that he's not in his head thinking about what to say next. He's actually engaged in learning more about them, even if he will never see them again. When we start to push our agenda to get our point across, then we stop listening. It is in the listening that we really learn who this person in front of us is. See, we as humans can step into this place of empathy where we are not comparing what someone else has done or the way someone else communicates or anything really. We can step into a place of empathy where we stop comparing. It's like saying tomato, tomato, potato, potato. What one person prefers, someone else might shrug off. What I'm passionate about, you might not even give a second glance. 
But if you can step into this place of empathy, if you can come outside of yourself and just see things from my point of view, from my eyes, you get an idea of what it is I've gone through to become the person that I am today. When I get on these phone calls with y'all, when I get on phone calls with anyone, I seek to step into their point of view to understand more about what co-created their life that has turned them into the person that is sitting in front of me right now. Why are they super into turning old instruments into dining tables? Why are they super interested in being a a two artist? Why are they super interested in being a better parent and reconnecting with their kids? Why are they super interested in communicating more effectively with with their mother and their grandmother? Why do these things matter to them? When I can step outside of myself and step inside of them during this conversation and really connect with them and ask questions and not be thinking of what I'm going to say next, not being worried about whether I'm going to say the right thing or come off as smart or come off as someone who can help them, but really just sit there and learn about them. That's when I step outside of my own brain. That's when I can step into their world and I can connect with them. Whether I was a life coach looking to turn this into a business or whether I was just a normal person just looking to connect more with my family, learning these communication secrets and understanding how to communicate is the way we want to exist in our world. And make no mistake, it is your world in your head. Your words are not describing the world around you. It is creating the world around you in your head. If you don't like cold weather, and I do, and we go to the park that day, it might have been a miserable day at the park if it was cold for you, and it may have been a great day at the park for me, but either way, we still both went to the same park. We do not experience life the same way. We can be empathetic and step into someone's shoes and understand the plight they've gone through. I don't know what it's like to be a Syrian refugee and be stuck on uh, uh, the shores of northern Africa trying to get to Greece, but I absolutely know what it's like to have the certainty of my life, to have my community blown up in front of me, to, to have lost any kind of hope that I would have a meal the next day. I know what that feels like, and I know that's what they're going through, so I can be empathetic about that part of their journey. Getting on a boat that might capsize in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, yes, that is beyond me. I have been on a boat that's run out of gas in the middle of the ocean, so in a way, I guess I even sort of kind of have an experience similar to that. But it's not about my experience trumping theirs. It's about my experience helping me seek a way of connecting with them in that moment. When we step into another person's shoes, we are not doing it with this empath mindset. And I want to be clear, this is my opinion about this empath mindset. Yours can be different. That's awesome. We are not seeking right or wrong here. We are seeking to understand one another. An empath is someone who is highly aware of their emotions and of the emotions around them to the point of feeling those emotions from other people themselves. Empaths see this world uh, differently than other people, very keenly aware of others, their pain points, and what they need emotionally. Right? What I desire, we all strive for, is this ability to place ourselves in someone else's shoes without taking on their emotions, their mindset, their anything, really. The point isn't to be them. The point is to see, hear, and feel as a co-creator with them in that moment. When you take on their emotions and then you mirror those emotions back to them, you're really taking the focus off of them and putting it on you. Have you ever heard someone say, oh no, I didn't mean to make you cry? That's someone who took on the emotions of the other person as their own and now they've actually shifted the focus to themselves. When you take on someone else's emotions and then you mirror them back so strongly that they're the ones apologizing to you for showing you emotions, you are putting an unconscious block in front of that person that says, if you show me emotions again in the future, I'm just going to regurgitate them back at you. And that person needed support in that moment. They didn't need you to also cry with them. You want to keep the focus on the other person so that they feel that you are creating a safe space for them to be vulnerable and to be open. Isn't that what you'd want to? If you've heard someone say, I didn't mean to make you cry, then when a person is telling them another story and there's a lot of emotion involved, the, the person shifted the focus from 
the we'll call them person B. Person B walks up and they're very sad. They lost their dog and they're crying in front of me. They're telling me how much they loved Spot and they can't believe Spot is dead. If I start to cry and be like, oh yeah, that reminds me of the time I lost Rover and Maze. This person came to me with an immediate need for emotional support about their dog that just died. And now I'm crying with them and telling them stories about my dog. At some point, that is absolutely something that could occur. But should it be occurring right then and there as they're pouring their heart out in front of you? Again, the point isn't to be them. It's The point is to see and hear and feel as a co-creator in that moment with them. You want that connection. Who needs the support in that moment? The person who just lost their dog or the person who lost their dog years ago and now wants to relive it in front of this other person who literally just had this tragedy. You can be emotionally engaged and not take the focus stick for yourself. That is where I want you guys to really start to take on some ideas around how you communicate. I had so much more I wanted to say, and we're getting we're getting close to the end here um, because I, I could just start to pour more in. But this this conversation isn't done because it's important to be able to step into somebody else's world, right? There's a quote by Walter Lippmann. He's a political commentator and author from back in the day. And his quote says, we are all captives of the picture in our head. Our belief that the world we have experienced is the world that really exists. But it's not. The world we think that is occurring in front of us isn't the real world. It's our thoughts, feelings around the world. It's how we have taken in things through our touch, taste, sight, sound, smell, how we've run them through the various filters and processes, delete, distort, generalize, memories, environment, values, beliefs, personality traits, how we're organizing things based on the content domain, people, places, things, information, activities. And all of this is creating this internal picture, this, this tiny little movie in our heads. And we can go back and we can rewatch it and we can relook at it like it's constantly Google Photos in, inside of our head, constantly. If for those of you who think you don't visualize very well, I'd like you to just think right now of what your mom or dad or your brother or sister or what your favorite sports team logo looks like. You can see it in your head right now, can't you? Picture a pink elephant. You see a pink elephant, can't you? Then you can visualize. Then you know, without a doubt, you're also creating these little tiny movies and these little tiny pictures inside of your mind. And you're using these to recall. Your recall is not the same as my recall. My beautiful day at the cold park is not the same as your horrible day at the cold park. It's just not. We have different reference points. Perhaps we have a different reference point about parks or what cold weather is like or what our clothes were like that kept us warm or not warm. But we're not experiencing the world the same. And we never, ever, ever will. If you chunk down enough on why you like something, you're in a conversation and we both like the Denver Broncos. If we chunk down far enough, we'll end up coming up to a disagreement about their best running back or best quarterback or best play ever. If we chunk up high enough and we say, you like the Broncos, I like the Broncos, yay, we're best friends. The higher you go, the more agreement you have. The lower you go, the more conflict you'll have. This is why politics, this is why people are arguing about it all the time. It's like we can't just be okay with the fact that we both uh, like a certain, we, we all want freedom. We all want independence. We all want to be able to make money and raise our children and have happy lives and you know have a bank account and be able to retire so we're not working, toiling away in a factory or the farm or wherever you're working for the rest of our lives. If we chunk up high enough, we all get to the same place where we want freedom and financial uh, wealth and you know to just be able to have a, a good life. It's when we start to chunk down that we start to find the disagreement. And it's those disagreements that cause people to disconnect, to shove their point down somebody else's throat and say, no, I'm right. You're wrong. Fuck you. That is not healthy. That is not the way any society of any worth is going to continue to grow. That is not the way your home is going to continue to grow. That is not the way your addiction recovery is going to continue to grow. If you go up to people and say, I'm right, you're wrong, fuck you. It's just not. Please show me a world 
Please show me a situation where having that kind of energy towards another person has brought about benefit. If you want that person out of your life, absolutely, then that's probably some damn good benefit there. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that most of the people that we have around us, we have kept around us for a reason. If you're still seeking to release the baggage of your past from your post, your pre, you know, back your your pre sobriety days, your pre recovery days, if you're still hanging out with people who bring vitriol and anger and animosity into your life, who are still, you know, play, they're still doing the same habits that you used to do, but that you know no longer do, you got to make that decision to release that person back out into the wild. They were once in your fishing net. You can just as easily pick them up, put them back in the river, and they can swim along their way. Their choice about that, the animosity they may or may not have towards you is their problem, not yours. You are seeking your highest self. At some point, you got to walk that journey alone because no one is always with you all the time the way you are always in your head with yourself all the time. There's a song by Weezer I can just not stop listening to right now called Hero. And, it, the, and I'm, I might butcher the lyrics here, but the part I'm just super in love with right now is everybody needs a hero, um, but not me or something like that. But yeah, I walk alone. Yeah, I walk alone. Everybody needs a hero. Something, something. Yeah, I walk alone. Yeah, I walk alone. Because we do. We walk alone so much in this journey. Even if you're walking steps listening to this podcast right now, right? Yeah, I'm in your head now. At some point, the podcast ends and it's just you in your head. You in your head is deciding the world you live in. And when you want to step outside of your head and you want to start connecting with other people, you must come to this realization that they are not going to see the world the same way as you. And getting mad and angry about that is ridiculous. Because it's, it's not possible for them to see the world the same way as you do. We like people who are like us. But when someone is different than we are, we often experience that difference as the, something being wrong with them. But it's not anything being wrong with them because it's how we were made. We were made to be different. When I was a kid and I would watch bullies, in high school, and I was definitely bullied in high school, in middle school. I was bullied a lot. I, we moved around. I was always the new kid in school. I, would, I remember watching them bully people about um, the way they were born. Maybe it was their hair, their nose. Maybe they were you know, mentally capable in a different way, right? Maybe they were on the spectrum somehow. And I just remember thinking, like, not only is bullying just cruel in general, right? Because children aren't resilient like, they, like we think they are. Children aren't resilient. You know why we know children aren't as resilient as we think they are? Because look around at how many screwed up adults are dealing with emotional trauma, suffering, and baggage from their childhood that they have yet to figure out a way to clear. Now, through neuro-linguistic programming, I absolutely could help you clear that. Or someone else who does NLP could help you clear that. Or a therapist or somebody in cognitive behavioral therapy. I personally think NLP is freaking amazing for this kind of stuff. I got into it to release my, my traumas, my sufferings, and my baggage. And when I go back and I think about what those bullies were doing, I remember thinking, and again, all bullying is bad, but I remember thinking as a child, how cruel is it to bully somebody for the way they were born? Because they had no control over that. I wore some pretty obnoxious clothes whenever I was in high school, especially Daytona Beach. Very bright, like red, like red blue jean shorts and these bright, colorful shirts. Fine, make fun of me because my style made me look like some like a Jackson Pollock painting. But don't make fun of someone for having a big nose or big ears or a large forehead or a receding hairline because that's just that was just the way we were born. It's in that same thought process that I say, why get angry at somebody else for thinking differently than me when that is literally what we were born to do? Think differently than other people's. Our brain's efficiency strategy has helped us form our own beliefs, developing our meta programs, our preferred communication channels, how we organize information in our world, right? Every other person's brain's doing the same thing. This rich and complex processing that we do is that's going on inside of you right now as you're listening to this, as you're sitting and being wherever you're at, it's all going on inside other people too. You're not, you're not a unique flower. 
You're not special in the way that you see the world and that all of a sudden the whole rest of the world needs to raise themselves up to your bar. You want to open your mind. And some of you guys might be right now like, oh my God, this soapbox is going on so long. Or hey, you know what, dude? I already do this stuff. I'm already communicating effectively and I don't need to know this. Then I mean, bless you be. Somewhere along the line, if you step into self-awareness, you will notice how you are immediately prone to agreeing with one person versus agreeing with a different kind of person. When humans walk upon another human, immediately, without even having to put any effort into it, we immediately notice gender, age, nationality, education. We notice these things. It's not that we it's not that we're a racist or sexist or ageist. It's just the brain seeks ways of organizing data so that it doesn't have to consciously be paying attention to everything. So when somebody says to me that they're colorblind or they're age blind, that it I'm sorry, it's not possible. You can choose to treat everybody equally, but you're choosing that. The brain generalizes on its own. You don't have to tell it to notice gender, ethnicity, uh, age. You don't have to tell it to notice these things because it's already doing it. It has no choice but to do it. It's been doing it for 27,000 years. You're not the broken you're not the one that broke the mold. <laughs> you can choose consciously to treat people equally. And when we go to think about connecting with other people, that's what we're really talking about, right? Choosing to connect with someone, regardless of what they're saying, does it ring true to us? When I hear people with differing opinions than me, when I hear people who negate things that I say that I truly honestly believe in, or when I say, hey, if you do this, your life will be better, and somebody wants to come back at me with their own version of of their strategy, with their own thoughts around that. I don't try to plant my flag and die on that hill for my belief, my value, my thought. I instead seek to understand more about why they've come up with their own opinion of my belief, value, opinion, or thought, and how they're interpreting it in their own way. Learn NLP and your life will blow you away. Nothing will ever be the same and you will be able to release trauma and suffering in a blink of an eye. There are plenty of people who would want to argue that. I'm not going to sit here and argue till I'm blue in the face for why NLP is the way, why we should be teaching this to five-year-olds, why it should be an actual class throughout elementary, middle, and high school. I'm not going to sit here and argue till I'm blue in the face with people who just don't want to hear that. I will just show them through my life, through my actions, why this works. And they'll come around or they'll choose a different path, and that's okay too. When you miss details in a conversation, you're filling in the gaps based on your own life, your own reality, your own filters. Even though we're using the same language, we often don't even really know what somebody really truly means. Without asking questions, we don't really know where someone else is coming from. If we don't ask them the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how, and it may at times seem unnecessary or even a bit intrusive, but if you ask it in a, with, in a state of curiosity, in a state of, uh, of excitement and enthusiasm to get to know someone, and I don't mean an excitement and enthusiasm like you just found out you won the lottery, but I just mean with your body language leaning in, with a smile on your face, with this actually like you know, empathetic and, and hey, I'm a, I really want to get to know you way, that kind of energy that says what you're saying is important to me. Again, you don't have to condone it. <laughs> But you can't accept that person for having their own point of view because things happened in their life that created that point of view for them. And if you go in and you try to tear their point of view down, they're just going to hunker down even deeper into that point of view because they've attached it to their identity. They have beliefs and opinions and values based on that. So when you try to come at someone and say, I can't believe you think that way, I'm going to tell you 87 ways to Sunday why you're wrong. They're going to come back with 117 ways to Monday why you're wrong. And then no one's connecting because everybody thinks they're right. Certain things don't feel good in our society. 
racism, ageism, sexism. And we should absolutely be striving to, be, to eradicate those as much as possible. But as long as the human brain can delete, distort, and generalize, and as long as it uh, organizes things based on people, places, things, activities, information, there is going to be a bit of all of us that is organizing people into those little categories. Being self-aware and conscious of how you're organizing stuff and choosing to do it in a way that connects you to the other person, that is going to take effort, and it will feel uncomfortable at times. But it is absolutely worth it. I have talked to people who are adamantly for BLM. And I have talked to people who are adamantly for white supremacy. And I do not condone many things, most of the things. I'm trying to tread water lightly here. I'm going to release what I do or do not condone. And I'm just going to speak at it from a third person observer's point of view. Both sides have experience things in their lives that have led them to think that way. I may not agree with their ultimate conclusion, and I absolutely may not agree with the behavior that is being taken to show what's going on inside themselves externally. But at the very least, I can be empathetic to say, okay, that's what happened in your life. You have justified that in your head. I'm not going to justify that in my head, I'm not even going to, at any point, in view, say, mm, okay, maybe I'll start to behave that way. But I can at least see, I, see you for why you created that. I can ask you questions, who, what, when, where, why, how. I can, instead of filling in the information in my head for why you're this way or that way, I can just ask you more questions. I can seek to learn more about the experiences you've had that caused you to be the way that you are. Again, not to condone your behavior, but to at least connect with you at a level that says, okay, I could see why that experience, or I could see why your grandpa saying that caused you to say that when you were five, and now you're still living in that BS world at at 42. I can see how that all happened. It is your choice to continue to act that way. It is your choice not to change the way that you're thinking. It's your choice to continue to break people up in little boxes and then tell them, F you, you're wrong. But it doesn't have to be. You can change your reference points. It reminded me of this show, the guy who did Supersize Me. Um, I forget his name. But back in the day, uh, one of the TV shows had given him a had given him like a, a a show where he would take people who were very different and he would put them into the same house. And I remember um, they took like some uh, like twenty something year old country boy from Kentucky and they moved him into this gay couple's apartment in San Francisco. And the whole idea was just that they would get to know each other better to see if they would get along if they actually got to know someone, right? This guy was homophobic. He lived in the country, didn't understand city life, didn't want to, thought everybody who was, who was gay was, you know, not good. And then, of course, you had the gay people who had their own way of seeing people from the country. And he put them together, and sure enough, they became friends. When we actually seek to connect with people, we don't necessarily, we're not looking to, again, condone their behavior. But we can find common ground. And when we find common ground, then we connect. And when we connect, we can actually start to influence the way that people see the world. If you want to change the way somebody sees something, the way they experience something inside their own minds, screaming in their face isn't the way to do it. Connecting with them, understanding their point of view, stepping in their own shoes, experiencing the world from their eyes for a little bit will give you that connection. And then ultimately, the more they get to know you, perhaps you'll rub off on them and they'll start to say, well, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I should be a little bit less racist or ageist or sexist. In an effort to understand and enjoy rapport, we can often get sucked into making assumptions about what the other person is saying. In an effort to not create rapport, we can just as easily step into a place where we make assumptions about the kind of person someone else is just based off of what they've said. What I'm talking about today, and sure as shit, I almost got us to 45 minutes, is that when we start to make assumptions and fill in the gaps, we are missing out on a chance to connect. 
I'd be willing to bet damn near all of us have sat in a meeting with every nationality or race or gender or age present. Well, okay, every, that's a step. I shouldn't be using a universal qualifier like every. But I definitely remember going to refuge recovery meetings and looking around and being like, wow, there's like every generation here. There's like seven different skin tones. There's, you know, there there's gay and there's lesbian and then there's, there's straight and there's transgender. And it's like, there's like five different sexualities here. And being like, wow, what an amazing room. And the one thing that all brought us here was that our suffering and our desire to change our lives for the better brought us into this room to share our story so that we could grow this community and we could connect with one another and we could realize we're not doing this alone. We can release the stigma of addiction because in one way or another, every human is addicted to something. And I remember thinking, man, these rooms are amazing. This is the melting pot that America promised. When this show started, it was done so without a real story arc in mind. I'll be the first to admit, I really got into it thinking, you know, I'm going to start doing an audio vlog of what it is I'm learning about, what it is I'm, I'm super interested in when it comes to my personal growth and my addiction recovery journey. I just figured I'd wing, wing it for you know a handful of years, and then eventually the show would fade away. I'd talk about whatever I was thinking about in my recovery journey, and people would like it or they wouldn't. I didn't really see this as being, uh, a, I mean, honestly, it didn't occur to me that this life coaching and this speaking and training was going to become my path. When I started this, it was like, this is going to be super fun. I can't wait to meet more people in addiction recovery. Now, I absolutely think I have become more focused over these last 50, 60 so episodes and I still strive to keep this free-flowing conversational style approachable. But I'm also seeking to push all of us to reach a higher sense of self. To seek to connect with other people in a way that we did not think was possible. Because when we can connect with other people in a way that we didn't think was possible, we can ultimately connect with ourselves in a way that will only change everything. I don't do a lot of the guests on this podcast because other shows do that and they do it well. And those shows are generally the ones who, who I enjoy the least because I, you know, like Brooke Castillo's life coaching school, I, life coaching scholars, whatever, I forget the title of it now. I'm sort of in a role. I, I love it when she's just talking. When she brings on other people, that's great. I get to learn about the coaches she's trained and I get to understand what they're talking about. But I really just want her point of view. That's why I got into it. Same thing with Jim Quick. I like Jim Quick because he tells me some really cool stuff in 20 minutes. Maybe I should take some lessons from that guy and stop talking so long on these shows. I've interviewed a lot of people for this show who didn't end up making it to being posted simply because they wanted to spend 20 minutes of the conversation running through what, you know, running through their rock bottom you know, telling me about their party nights and all the fun they had because their ego was still driving the boat. I'm going to justify my behavior by telling you how expensive my boat was or how many, you know, yacht parties I was at or how many clubs I bought bottles at. And that's not what I want to discuss on this show. We all have our own version of a rock bottom and I'll give that a couple minutes of airtime. But now I want us to start talking about the tools and the resources that we've accumulated that have changed our lives and are pushing us to the highest sense of self, that are allowing us to achieve our highest potential. Going down a rabbit hole of the addiction and what is, is, is fine and dandy for certain shows, I don't necessarily want to do it that way. So I just don't. Other shows, that, other shows do that and they do it well, and, or they don't do it well, and that's there their show. But after 117 episodes, I think that you guys are absolutely understanding the point of view that I am bringing to you, is that I seek to offer you more choice. I want you to have more choice so that you can choose the best way for you. You choose your best way, and then you become your best self. My way isn't always the right way, but it is a way and it's working for me. And if it resonates with you, then bless you. I'm glad that you're still here after 117 episodes. And I look forward to the next 117 episodes. I look forward to figuring out how I'm going to continue bringing content every week. 
sometimes I feel like it's a struggle. And then I just stop and say, well, wait, what did I experience this week? Okay, go back to basics and talk about what you experienced this week. Because it may not necessarily be centered around my addiction recovery anymore, but I'm always going to be in addiction recovery. The journey I am on to learn more about myself was started because of that day on January 12th when I looked in the mirror and said, waking up covered in your own filth in your bathtub is not the way for you any longer. It is time to make a change, and today we're going to do it. We're going to go in the bedroom, we're going to call up Kaiser Permanente, and we're going to get into their treatment, and we're going to do it, and we're going to love it. We're just going to try this hat on for a little while and see where it takes us. And 117 episodes, 52 and a half months later, 17 people in the tribe and growing, almost 100 episodes of College Success Habits, over 100 speaking engagements, a best-selling book, all of these things that I've been able to accomplish, I did so wearing the shoes of sobriety and recovery. What I consider a success in my life may not be the same thing for you. You might want to work less and be more with your family. You might want to communicate more with the people that are around you. You might want to be physically fit. Whatever your driver is, we probably have similar ones, but we'll never experience in the same way. And that, my friends, is what makes being human so amazing. I cannot wait to experience the next 117 shows and beyond with you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being with me as long as you have. If you ever want to talk, hit me up on social media, Jesse Mogul from Sobriety to Recovery. It is not hard to find me on Instagram. It is not hard to find me on Facebook. It is not hard to find me on LinkedIn. The fastest response will absolutely come from Instagram. And if you want to know more about what it's like to learn neuro-linguistic programming, to be involved in the online course, we meet every other week for an hour and we have amazing conversations. And from there, the sky is the limit. Whatever you're doing for your own addiction recovery, open your mind that to the idea that connecting with other people at a deeper, more meaningful level by stepping into their shoes and not thinking about what you're going to say while they're talking is absolutely going to benefit your addiction recovery. Because the better you communicate with others, the better you learn to communicate with yourself. And that, my friends, is where the true magic happens. Because it's inside our own minds where we're creating our world, where we can change anything and everything just by making the decision to do so. And you know this is possible because you've already done it countless times in your life. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sticking out 52 freaking minutes long. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy. Release it and your life will flow. Say it with me. Every day is the best day of my life because I wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. 